You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Pre-Renaissance and pre-Renaissance era, you didn't cast magic yourself. You called on spirits to cast magic for you. In D&D, you learn how to cast magic either by being a nerd, if you're a wizard, by talking to God, if you're a cleric, by talking to nature, if you're a druid, or just by being naturally good at it, if you're a sorcerer. Hello and welcome to Drinks with God, a podcast about alternative theological experiences, death, and life. All of the following content is based on each interviewee's own personal experiences and is meant to be educational, not confrontational. of Drinks with God, and today we have with us um, mythology enthusiast and also D&D enthusiast, and we actually you actually get monetarily rewarded for being D- a D&D enthusiast, so. <laughs> I've paid like maybe $300 in the space of two years, so yeah. like, it's not like a full-time job, but I do enjoy doing it. People still are encouraging you. Yeah, <laughs> as well they shouldn't. No one ever should encourage. Uh, I'm encouraging. <laughs> I'm encouraging you by broadcasting your words like worldwide right now. So, um, <laughs> and more's the pity. More's the pity. All right. Well, um, welcome to another episode of Drinks with God. And today we have with us Ned, and we're going to be discussing. Um, this is definitely going to be part of a couple different episodes where we're going to talk about the different parallels and influences between actual real world um, mythology and D and D, which is crazy and has kind of become its own mythology like it has it's always been its own mythology even since its first inception like gary gygax was really really creative yeah like start to a startling degree but he actually i i when i say it's become its own mythology i mean it's influenced other stories other mediums other forms it's because like you you see beholders all over the place now and they are an entirely unique creation of D D. You see mind flayers or things inspired by mind flayers all over the place. Fucking Stranger Things has mind flayers and Demogorgon as, like, core concepts in there. Drawn directly from D&D, but nevertheless. Yeah. So, um, it's kind of the modern powerhouse of where you're going to get those kind of, like, creations. And people are going to, like... See the, the the world in the background. It's got it's the, the most recent basis for a mythological world. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah. wild. Yeah, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, I love it. Um, so uh, today we're going to be focusing on pretty much uh, demons, uh, devils actually, devils. Okay, um, yes. and I'm I'm going to get to that in a second. Yeah, because there is a difference between the two, which <laughs> I don't know, but <laughs> we it's are, wild. Um, so I'm going to be focusing primarily on storytelling necessity in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, namely that if you're going to introduce a, a person or a character or a monster or a th- anything, it needs to be statable and it needs to be interactable. Um, like, y- you can't just have something where, like, 
they're you say oh yeah it, it'll punch them and i don't know you may, maybe it'll knock them out or something you have to say okay if it when they their fists do 1d8 damage or their um their breath uh, same breath as that of a of a blue dragon stuff like that um so it has to be concrete and it has to be something that a character can actually like the a, D, a dungeon master can reasonably be, be expected to include in a story Okay. So they deviate very heavily from the things they take inspiration from. And for simplicity, I'm just going to be focusing on devils um, and, and hell in the D&D cosmology. So we're going to do a little homunculus building after all that once we uh, figure hmm? out. So we're going to do a little homunculus build your own devil building after we talk about that. How do you mean? Well, you just said you're going to talk about like how, like, oh, this would... Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah like how to, how to actually put this into practice. Kind okay, of yeah. No, that, that would be fun, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. but also just like in terms of the literature side, the pre-existing um, mythology side, you said that the two major works of literature you wanted to focus on were Dante's um, Inferno. I don't know if you wanted to get into um, the other parts of the trilogy or if you were just going to focus on the Inferno. Uh, just the Inferno because I have not actually read Purgatorio or um, Paradiso all yeah. the way through, and they really don't... Um, have any bearing on D&D mythology because people don't really read those because it's not as exciting to see people like happy as it is to see people getting tortured. Well, I mean, Pur- Purgatorio actually has torture, but it's not the same level as uh, as as Inferno. Yeah, and I always thought Purgatorio was actually pretty interesting. Paradisia was pretty boring. Actually, yeah, but it's just like, hey, look at how great these guys are. Like, these are the guys I like. like on Wednesdays, we wear pink. <laughs> it's me, Dante. <laughs> But um, you also want to focus on The Lesser Key of Solomon, which I love. It's yeah. great. And not a lot of people have read it. Because <laughs> it's goofy as hell. Oh. <laughs> Da-dum-bum-bum. <laughs> um, but also I'm going to re- lay a little bit of groundwork here. Yes. Um, first of all, we're going to be focusing on the primary sort of core, like, um, cosmology of D&D. There's a lot of campaign settings, like Eberron... Dragonlance, uh, Ravenloft. I love Ath- Ravenloft. Yeah, I'm a, Dark- I'm a goth trash boy. Yeah, we're gonna do some Ravenloft campaigns at some point. Um, there's Dark Sun. There's all that stuff. But for the sake of simplicity and for the sake of focusing pretty exclusively on real world influence, we're gonna be focusing on the two earliest worlds, Greyhawk and the Forgotten Realms. Forgotten Realms in particular, because that's the setting I have the most experience in, and Greyhawk because Forgotten Realms and Greyhawk are very closely related. They have the same, like, outer planes and whatnot. Um, second of all, D&D, since its very inception, has always had a heavy focus on alignment. So, chaotic neutral, lawful evil, uh, neutral good. These are all things that have a very concrete meaning in the D&D world. And as a result, in the core settings of Forgotten Realms and Ravenloft, they very heavily influence the outer planes. There's an outer plane to correspond to every possible alignment and everything in between those alignments, which is way too many fucking outer planes, but whatever. So they've got a neutral good lawful plane. They've got a chaotic good lawful plane. They've got a between neutral good and chaotic good outer plane. Like, they have all this bullshit. Um, But for the sake of today, we're going to be focusing primarily on the lawful evil plane of the Nine Hells of Bator, and we're going to be touching upon uh, Gehenna, Hades, and Abyss very briefly. Okay. Another thing we're going to be focus. 
another thing to like lay groundwork on is one of my favorite little trivia things of Dungeons and Dragons, which is the Satanic Panic. Uh, so we all we all know that back in like the '90s, everyone's like, "Oh my God, Pokemon, D and D, all this shit." It's it's encouraging devil worship. That happens. That happened in the you know in the '50s. It happened really, really, really strongly in the '80s. But yeah, it happens to everything yeah. because anything that's fun is clearly devil worship. Yeah, but like yeah, you and I, there was some going on in the '90s, mm-hmm. and one of those things, the uh, subjects was Dungeons and Dragons, uh, largely focusing on a single image that that, that there is of a on um, the I think monster manual of some adventurers prying a uh, a ruby out of a giant stone idol, which ironically enough actually happens to be. One of the characters we're going to be touching upon today, Moloch. Nice. But um, as a result, there was a huge backlash of, oh my god, these are Satan worship. Oh my god, we got to protect our children. So they had to switch things around. So as I mentioned, everything is focused on alignment in the primary cosmology. So devils are lawful evil. Demons are chaotic evil. And there's a few things that are neutral evil and whatnot, but devils and demons are the real only important things in a D&D cosmology. Um, then there's the Yuggaloths. Those are the neutral evil ones. And that story is funny. Satanic panic. People are like, oh my god, there's devils and demons in this game. Holy shit. So for the second edition of Dungeons & Dragons, they said, okay, we're no longer going to say the word devil or demon. We're gonna devils are now gonna be called Batazu, demons are now gonna be called Tanari, and then they also create another kind of demon called Oberiths, which are a older form of demon closer to Cthulhu mythos inspired than like mm-hmm. like um, other thing inspired, which is what most Tanari are. Um, and that carried over into third edition, but has since been abandoned as of the fourth and fifth editions because no one cares anymore. Um, but that also meant that um, the neutral evil monsters, uh, the daemons, not to be confused with demons. Yep, there's the, an extra vowel. Yeah, the daemons were then renamed the Yuggaloths. Um, and those have retained their name because what the fuck were you thinking, Gary Gygax? Why did you name something daemons when you already had demons as a thing? So that's something fun. But yeah, that is a little a little tidbit of information that I've always wanted to share to a uh, enraptured and uh, studio audience. I mean, there is no studio audience here, but we do have a picture of Sulu staring at us. Mm-hmm. He's staring right into my soul, mm-hmm. like as, straight up as he should. Mm-hmm. He sees all my sins. Good, that's what he's there for. Yeah. So yeah, um, what 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 is there anything you want to talk about specifically? Most people, I'm sure, have heard of Dante's Inferno, and we're going to get into, like, a quick, you know, run couple-sentence rundown, I'm sure, of that. But first, I'm sure that almost nobody has heard of the Lesser Key of Solomon. <laughs> Both of these texts I'm going to post links to in the show notes. Um, because it's all, you know, open source. Yeah. But, <laughs> it's an open source grimry. Yes. <laughs> Grimries are fantastic. And <laughs> grimries are just, in general... Um, I guess it's the more alchemical side of accessing hell. Uh, essentially, they're, well, they're also the alchemical side of accessing heaven. Yes. They're basically a user's manual for talking to otherworldly spirits. And they were hugely popular to like write and work with and 
unearth and uncover. Unearth um, with quotation marks. Yes, it's, which is just trying to give credence to your own personal penned bullshit mm-hmm. by slapping some, you know, well-known other per- other older person's name on it. Someone who's been dead for a couple hundred years. Hence how we get the lesser key of Solomon. Yeah, be like, oh no, look, I found uh, Ezekiel's Grimmery. It's just like, that. you just picked a random name from the Bible and you wrote it. This is this is the uh, the the grimry written by King Solomon himself about all the the demons that he imprisoned. Except King Solomon never used the term president, and also <laughs> the, the term didn't exist. Yeah. And also, there's no way that anything that you would have survived in such pristine condition to that er- yeah, in that, that area that it was quote unquote found. Mm-hmm. So, so, if you find a grimory, it wasn't actually written by the person that anyone claims it to have been written by. It was written by a random alch- alchemist. Yeah, probably high on mercury. Oh, definitely high on mercury. Mm-hmm. But grimories are fun. Um, and fun and profitable, ostensibly. Especially the ones that were attributed to popes. <laughs> um, I might post a link to one or two really fun ones. But, so, The Lesser Key of Solomon is probably one of the best-known grimmeries. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's essentially just like a rundown of... 76 different uh, demons, aerial spirits, and angels that you can call upon to... Do various random bullshit for yeah. you. It typically is to teach you science. Like half the fucking demons on there, like he teaches you science or math in an instant. Yeah, it's it's a phone book for um, tutors. Mm-hmm. and also sometimes people that can uh, also like me. I don't know, stab your enemy in the heart, I don't know, or like sink a ship, little things like that. But mostly it's calling Leno you know, in out to the astro like calling out into the aether to get someone to help you with your homework. Mm-hmm. And that is where things differ very heavily from, like, traditional inspiration to D- D&D inspiration. Because most ti- the, most of the time that you get a named demon or devil or whatnot, that is because they come from a grimry. Very few actual religious texts, like, give names to their devils. Because they don't need to. It's the enemy or it's just the devil. If you get a named demon, it's because it's either a thing in a grimry, it's a person, it's a like a a demonized uh, god or spirit from an already existing culture, or it's both. So you'll get things like um, like Malthus, who looks like a dove. Hang on, I pulled this up a second ago. Yeah, one thing that I really love about the Lesser Key of Solomon is it does actually break things down into a very fantastic chart. Their name, their, descri- their description of what they look like, how to summon them, quote-unquote, and what they're going to help you out with. It's very cut and dry. Mm-hmm. It's so, a- like, uh, like Bifrons, uh, he's an Earl of Demon of, of Hell, and uh, he takes the form of a monster, very descriptive, and after a while, he puts on the shape of a man. He, that's arg- arguably the least descriptive that they get. Sometimes they'll be like, yeah, he's a, a dragon who's got a baby riding him. You know, whatevs. Yeah, sometimes it's very very descriptive like his left foot is that of a donkey and his right foot is that of a speckled hen it's like what the yeah, fuck like, like vine uh he appears in the form of a lion riding upon a black horse and bearing a viper in his hand and uh his office is to discover things hidden witches wizards and things past present and to come most of the demons deal with the future everyone wants to know the future yeah no one cares about the past yeah and also to overthrow great stone walls and make the waters rough with storms. 
So those are some of the more practical ones. Some of them just tell you, like, get you to fall in love. Yeah. But a yeah, lot of them do that. The vast majority of them teach you, like... Some some forbidden art of... Geometry. Astronomy. Astronomy. Yeah, they mostly teach you astronomy, geometry. That sort of stuff. Calculus. Um, and that is where that differs very heavily in D&D. Because you can't have an enemy teach you astronomy. You can't, like, bur uh, burst into Glacia's lair and she'll be like, Oh, hi. Here, I'm, I'm here to teach you... Um, here to teach you geometry so sit down we're going to talk about isosceles triangles grab a pencil there will be a test later it's, gonna, it's gonna be fun i've got scantrons ironically the only character directly taken from the lesser key of solomon who features as a major devil in the hierarchy of the hells is glacia whose name is derived from glacia labulus and who bears literally zero re resemblance to her actual like inspired form Okay, so, for example, so what does she look like in the Lesser Key of Solomon? Uh, in the Lesser Key of Solomon, she is a, she is a he. Her name is his name is Glaciolabulus. He appears in the form of a dog with wings like a griffin. And in uh, D and D, she is a hot chick because her name ends with an A. Yeah, and because a female character has to be hot. There's maybe like three female any things in D&D that aren't explicitly sexy. And that's like Zugtmoy, who is a giant mushroom, uh, Tiamat, who is a giant dragon, and Baba Yaga, who's grody. Who's fabulous. Yes. We love her. Um, but that's that's a, an example. You, you, you can't really have, like, in the original one, Glaciolobulus teaches uh, uh, he can cause love in both friends and foe. He can make a man go invisible. There's a spell at, like, second level called Invisibility. Like, that's not impressive in D&D. &D. You don't need to summon a demon to make you invisible. That's just so much unnecessary steps. Yeah. In, in like, you know, pre-Renaissance and pre-Renaissance era, you didn't cast magic yourself. You called on spirits to cast magic for you. In D&D, &D, you learn how to cast magic either by being a nerd, if you're a wizard, by talking to God, if you're a cleric, by talking to nature if you're a druid, or just by being naturally good at it if you're a sorcerer. And that sort of varies from edition to edition. Bards occasionally do shit. Yeah, bards also. They're they're good by being, um, they're band nerds. Yeah, by being snarky. Yeah, basically by being clever little shits. But, uh, yeah. Hashtag bard life. <laughs> Glossia is the actual only devil who like on the major hierarchy who's named after a character from lesser key of solomon there's also like they've, they've got the bifrons they've got bile they've got um uh, i think malthus is in there uh there's vepar like those are all characters who are described in certain D, &D source books like uh dragon magazine or the first edition or whatnot but for the most part the other demons are taken from other sources like um Balzable. You know, Lord of the Flies. Um, that's actually one of the most direct translations from the original source material of Lord of the Flies. And he has a fun story in D&D. A funny thing about Hell versus the Abyss. The Abyss is the chaotic evil plane. Hell is a lawful evil plane. But by far, between the two of them, Hell has undergone the most changes from edition to edition than... The, the abyss can't even begin to cover it. 
in the abyss there's like you know there's a billion there's, an, there's infinite layers in the abyss and ostensibly you know they're always changing and whatnot but the important ones are always the same azagrat the triple realm is always ruled by um uh my my favorite boy grazd um he's the sexy demon lord um orcus always ru rules uh his plane that i forget the name of uh, Demogorgon has always ruled the, the uh, no not the steaming fin is queen of chaos Orcus rules uh, um, that jungle ocean world like they always have the same layers that have basically the same attributes whereas like in second edition uh, the plane Malbolge uh, both first and second edition was a uh, an area of rocky like volcanic activity then in third edition it became an area of um like a, a like a, a sloped rocky like rock slides and shit like that then halfway through 3.5 it um became a plane that was completely covered in pulsating flesh because its previous ruler had uh, been usurped by glacia herself and uh in being usurped she exploded and covered the entire plane in her guts and then now as of fifth edition it's back to being a realm of like uh rocks and shit and there, there's no longer any sort of volcanic activity so while um the abyss and hell have been in various stages of upheaval and flux and flux with it from edition to edition they oh hell used to be an actual planet in oh. fourth edition oh <laughs> well there's it was that. an actual planet um Aside from, like, all that flux and change, when it comes to, like, the way the actual characters are supposed to function and work, um, they have a very similar relationship, or they can have a very similar relationship to the characters as a person is supposed to have a relationship to a devil or demon, according yeah. to, like, medieval, like, how, like, devils and demons work. Yeah. Uh, that's actually been increased in the 5th edition with the introduction of the warlock class as a, uh, as a core class. Well, I mean, it was introduced in 4th edition, but no one really likes 4th edition. Like, some people like it. It had really good combat mechanics, but the issue with 4th edition is they were trying to be like a video game. But you know who did video games better? Actual video games? Actual video games. Actual video games are better at doing video game combat better than a non-video game. Surprisingly. 5th uh, edition has caught on to that and has focusing way more on the things video games can't do, like wild character interaction they're focusing very heavily on stuff like that like getting uh going insane having all kinds of weird little nuances uh, there's a monster in fifth edition that uh, when it looks at you it can learn a secret of yours you can't stat that you can only play that and that's why i really like fifth edition better than any previous edition cool. um but again going back to like the actual mechanics um his so historically the way that that um, like when grimmeries were kind of you know like in vogue and popping up all over the place people were digging them up in their backyards every day oh my god I found a new grimmery <laughs> quote unquote I totally <laughs> ink all over your hands bro it's like no 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 I totally yeah, found this I, I found didn't... this it was just bleeding ink because it's so evil I didn't write it I just found it I found it in an ink well <laughs> <laughs> how can you read it <laughs> it's evil it's magic uh, but um, back when people were just finding these things every day um, the way that p demons were supposed to work is that they were uh, either a source of power or a you know kind of like a like a median like you know between 
a the middleman. Yeah, the middleman between a bigger power. They were a means to, you know, further oneself um, in, you know, one's daily adventure. I don't know where I'm going with that one. But, um, but so when <laughs> Daily, everyday style. <laughs> so when you're adventuring in D&D, the way you'd use or work with a demon, either they'd be your patron, your source of power, mm-hmm. or they'd be someone that you're using alongside to like get to your patron or your source of power yeah well that's what's uh, that's how warlocks work okay um so like a, the in fourth edition they introduced the warlock class as a concrete class it had been sort of like like ventured upon as in a 3.5 as a class but they never really like figured it out until they said okay let's make it an actual class for 4e and then in 5e they made it into a good class or rather, they brought it into a good edition. I have things against fourth edition. I, I you may have noticed. I'm getting that. All right. <laughs> it's just—it's not an easy edition to play. So, um, Lesser Key of Solomon aside, let's let's talk a little bit about Dante's Inferno. Ooh, hoo, so hoo. that's a lot more of a of a famous one. More people have, are aware of what that is as a piece of literature, and also how it functions, and roughly it. Um, aside from all the parts where Dante is just putting people, he has personal beef with on blast <laughs> which is kind of a thing just people did back then <laughs> that was basically like half of the fucking book yeah like art and literature are just kind of like the medieval version of twitter but hopefully twitter isn't going to be preserved for a couple hundred years for people to marvel at oh i hope it will i want to see all that bullshit just get immortalized Fossilize that shit in stone. I will ask to be brought back to life just so I can kill myself over that. That's stupid. Oh my god. I don't, I'm not on Twitter, so I don't have anything to hide. Mm. Well, I was I was on Twitter for a little bit, but I barely posted because like I don't have that much to say. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Eh. I hope you have a little bit to say because I was hoping to fill up some time with you. Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm done talking. Oh. Bye, everybody. Well, anyway, okay, we're back. Okay, we're back. <laughs> so the um, uh, the in- the Inferno, which is the first part of the Divine Comedy, focuses on the rings of hell and all the bad shit that happens down there. Mm-hmm. It's structured based on um, uh, Saint Thomas Aquinas's literature on how on the hierarchy of sins. So like it goes from the the least of the sins, which was um, uh, a lack of faith, uh, either the faithless who were uh, trapped outside of hell, forced to forever you know run around and do pointless bullshit, or the virtuous pagans who are actually on the first layer of hell, whose only sin was not believing in Jesus. Uh, so they are just sort of stuck on the first layer of hell. They're not being tormented by anything beyond the knowledge that they're never going to get to be close to God. They're just waiting for, um, you know, the last... The reckoning. Yeah, the, the reckoning, so that that's when they're allowed to go up to heaven. And yeah. also a bunch of unbaptized babies. Yeah. Uh, sad. Yeah. Um, like, all that's the way... essentially what is up there. Mm-hmm. People waiting. And then it goes, like, to lust, the most boring greed, gluttony... Oh, no, greed and, um... And, uh... For, like, a f- the, the opposite of greed, um... Like spending money willy nilly, they actually they're they're constantly at, at war with each other, um, all the way down to the final layer of hell, the ninth layer, which is treachery, i.e., like betraying 
you're betraying your loved ones, betraying your state, straight up betraying your lord. So that's why Satan is chewing on Cain. No. Not Brutus. Yeah, Brutus. Um, Judas. And who was the third one? Was it Cain? Um, I don't... No, I think that wasn't Cain, like, biblically banished to, like, wander the earth. You're right. Um, so he's not... It was hell. another Roman figure. I want to say it's with Cassius, but I don't... Might have been. I, I can't remember the details, but Bruce yeah. Because and Cassius work together, so I... Yeah, but... I think it might have been Cassius. But yeah, uh, Judas is being chewed on by the, the, the centermost head. Uh, but yeah, that that is how the hell is structured in the Dante's Inferno, based on St. Thomas Aquinas's structuring of the sins. In D&D, they really only take inspiration from the names. So you have, like, Avernus, the first layer of hell, named after that, uh, that crater in Rome. Uh, you've got Dis, named after that city. Which layer is that one? The fifth layer, I want to um, say? Yeah, I want to say that, yeah, Discord is where, the layer of wrath. Yeah. Is, is, yeah. Yeah, so I want to say it's the fifth layer. It's been a little while since I reviewed it. Yeah. Um, Phlegathos, named after the River of Blood. Uh, Stygia, named after Styx. Which is the River of Forgetting. Yep. And Styx is actually a um, a constant feature in almost... Well, in the standard D&D cosmology, it's actually the yeah. river that flows through all of the lower planes. So it has its genesis in, I want to say... Uh, in Pandemonium, flows through all of the various uh, evil planes and sort of uh, leaves through um, Acheron. But uh, beyond that, like it's it's also where all the blood war takes place. That's the war between Hell and the Abyss. They don't care for each other. Um, you know, I kind of figured lawful and chaotic mm -hmm. people would butt heads a little bit. Yeah, they they're uh, they're they're a bunch of butt heads. But um, sure. I did a I did a snap and a finger point for those of you that can't see what I'm doing, which no is literally... one can see except for me. Exactly, and Sulu, who's there to judge your sins. Thank you, Sulu. Uh, but yeah, all the most of the layers in the nine hells of Bator are named after layers or things in Dante's Inferno. Um, <laughs> the, the lowest layer, believe it or not, is actually named after the Centaur Nessus. I don't know why. It was just somebody that just Dante Gary, knew about. It was Gary Gygax's idea, I suppose. One of the things that is very specific, or that's very, um, I guess, influential in how D&D &D everything is done, is how are characters going to interact with this? Like, how do we stat this? Like, it's one thing to say, okay... This is an area filled with uh, with with rocks and volcanic air vents and whatnot. You could, that's great, but now you have to put stats to it. So okay, um, there is like a if you're going up a slope, there is a fifty percent chance that you're going they're going to uh, create a rock slide. If a rock slide happens, here are the things that characters can do. If they uh, try to do a dexterity saving throw or a um, reflex save prior to fifth edition, they try to do a dexterity saving throw. Then, if they succeed, they are able to avoid it. Otherwise, they take so much bludgeoning damage. If they go near a uh, a volcanic vent, there is a such and such percent chance of the the vent containing a fire elemental, something like that. All the layers are constructed with that sort of thing in mind because it's assumed that if you're going there, 
you're going there to fight a devil. So there has to be there has to be ways for characters to interact. There has to be ways for characters to move around. So you'll get things like, okay, this, this layer is constantly filled with acidic rain. And characters will take so much damage from being exposed to acidic rain for a certain period of time. Uh, maybe this layer has a uh, has is constantly under the effects of extreme heat. So if characters don't bring outside sources of water, they will experience the suffer the effects of extreme heat over time. Um, like these are real concrete things that characters can do. So you'll find that most of the layers are based around damage types, like acid, cold, fire, bludgeoning. That's pretty much what all the layers are based around in some capacity. Stygia and Kenya are both uh, cold. Um, Minaros is based around acid, although in previous editions it was based more around cold mm -hmm. and like stuff. You don't really find many layers based around water with some without some other thing. Like Stygia is based around water, but it's also really really cold water. Yeah. Um, uh, Minaros is an, is a huge fucking swamp, like uh, the layer for the the uh, greedy or the gluttonous. I forget which one for gluttonous. That's one that has uh, Cerberus in it. Yes. Um, but it's also filled with either freezing rain or acidic rain. So you get those. Um, Phlegathos and Avernus are both very uh, heavily volcanically inspired. Like, you get damage types associated with specific layers. Uh, that even happens in the Abyss. Like, in, uh, in fucking Orcus's realm that I forget the name of, uh, that's very heavily necrotically influenced, which is a damage type. And undead influenced uh the undead are actually the only like one of the only creatures that have been identified as undead throughout D's entire history like or have, have been identified as being such like prior to third edition there wasn't such thing as a fae or a celestial there were things that were considered you know like sylvan creatures or that were considered like devils or whatnot but they weren't categorized as fiends or whatnot. In fact, it wasn't even until 5th um, edition that Celestials and Fiends were separated by having anything more than a good or evil sub-tag. Prior to that, everything that came from the Outer Plains were just considered outsiders, which is one of the most boring ways to describe... They sort of threw a blanket term, like, yeah, that, that fucking like, big old globule of whatnot, that's an outsider, whatever, fuck you. Genies, they're outsiders, fuck you. In 5th edition, genies are now considered elementals, which is more interesting in my opinion. We can talk about genies at some point. We should. Yeah. Um, and actually, just um, in terms of... Since you'd mentioned Cer Cerberus, yes. there's a lot of um, mythological and religious influences on, mm -hmm. like, like, obviously, the concept of hell and like a negative version of an afterlife is a central part to a lot of religious experiences. Mm -hmm. And I know that they've ex in influenced D&D. &D. Um, we were, we were going to focus a little bit, like, mostly on, like, Dante's Inferno and the Celestia of Solomon, but, I mean, yeah. there's um, that's more a, than that there. Yeah, that's actually a very interesting uh, point, is D&D &D has never really known exactly what to do with religion beyond it being a statable thing. Like, characters can be paladins or clerics and worship gods, and they gain power from that. But beyond that, D&D &D has never really had a concrete answer of afterlife. It sort of changes from edition to edition. Um, in second edition, particularly in the Planeswalker setting, 
a person goes to an afterlife based on what their alignment is in life. So if they were lawful good, they'll probably go to Celestia. If they were lawful evil, they'll probably go to Hell. Um, but bear in mind that the Planeswalker setting is specifically designed for people who are still living to go out and experience those worlds. So they have what are called petitioners, which are the souls of dead people that can't leave those planes and eventually become intrinsic parts of those planes. Um, in hell, they actually become lemurs. Lemurs? Lemurs. I don't actually know how it's pronounced. All I know is that they're these weird, goopy, like, lowest of the low of devils. And that uh, lemur eventually gets turned into other things. In Hades, they get turned into larvae. In uh, the abyss, they eventually become manus, manus or whatever. Um, in, other, in, the, in the Beastlands, petitioners eventually turn into animals. In Mechanus, petitioners, I guess, turn into gears. Fucking, I don't know. Who the fuck wants to go to a goddamn giant clock when they die? Like, yes, I believe in the, the rule of law, and when I die, I want to become a cog in a machine. I mean, if you live your life that way. <laughs> yeah. He spent the afterlife as he spent his life life. Being boring. So that... So that was how they sort of handle it in second edition, but then in subsequent editions, particularly the Forgotten Realms, it became a little less clear cut because you you go to hell if you're lawful evil, but you can also go to hell if you betrayed your god. Um, so like if you sinned against the god that you primarily worshipped, you would also go to hell. So hell could be a punishment or a reward. Depending on your alignment. It's always a punishment. You never want to go to hell, because when you go to hell, you wind up getting tortured no matter who you were. But if you were lawful evil, you at least have the potential to ascend to a higher or lower, depending on how you look at it, form of life by becoming a ascending through the infernal hierarchy. Um, okay. Whereas if you were not lawful evil, you're just going to get tortured. You're not even going to become a little more. You're just going to become a person who's constantly being like processed into soul fuel and pain fuel and whatnot. Souls and pain are actually like quantifiable things in D and D, depending on the edition. It's not just a meaningless meat grinder that you toss people into, you know, Hieronymus Bosch style. Yeah, you can actually like have a certain power of soul based on your hit dice. That's an actual fucking thing. Like, I mean, I'm not surprised. There are so yeah. many things that you can quantify in D and D. Yeah, D and D loves quantification and they love categorization. Hence why in 2nd edition, it's also known as the blank filling edition, where every single outer plane had to have its own native form of life. So everything had its thing. So they brought by the Dimadans for Carcery. Dimadans are another kind of chaotic evil, like, like outsider fiend thing, unrelated to demons. Unrelated to Doug Dimadam? Correct. Well, I'll be Dimadam. Dimadam, Dimadam, Dimadum. They're... If you've fallen to Carcery, you are demidoomed. Because you can't really leave Carcery. It's like a prison. Which is weird because it's chaotic as opposed to lawful. And you'd think that a prison plane would be lawful. God damn it. Yeah, right? It's fucking weird. Okay, now we're back. <laughs> the computer was rebelling. <laughs> All right. Just like Lucifer did against what's-his-face. Jod. Yeah. Jesus. Sure. Um... Alright, so it, that seems all pretty much straightforward, and, you know, um, so we did want to do one last little thing. So you talked a little bit about how you would build the mechanics of the plane, and, like, you know, each dimensional plane, and how that 
has to be taken into account if you're DMing, being yeah. a dungeon master. There has to be things you can actually have players interact with. Um, so then, when you're like, you know, monster building in mm-hmm. your monster Ooh. factory. Ooh, my, my wonderful flesh church. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> it's grody. I love it. Ugh. So yeah, um, for those of you that don't know, which at this point is going to be all of you, unless you're re-listening to this on a future, uh, future like revisiting, in which case, thank you. In which case, what's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, why would you do that to yourself? Um, the thing that I am most fond of doing for Dungeons & Dragons in my spare time is writing my own monsters. So I write down stats and I publish them on Dungeon Master's Guild. If you guys want to go check out my stuff, that'd be awesome. Uh, you can post a link to that, I uh, guess. Yeah, I'm going to post links, especially because, like, uh, actually, the sale that you just had was just over. Yeah, it's ending today. Okay. But, yeah, they occasionally do sales. Um, and yeah, my... Uh, and he's got several different uh, packages. Most of them focused on Faye. And just, you know, and not just very cool, like, um, individual package, individual creations, but they'll come in, like, packages. So you've got, like, a whole working, like, set. At the moment, I'm actually working on publishing my largest fucking supplement ever, which includes, like, more than 200 different creatures. Yeah. But yeah, the thing I enjoy making most is creatures. Things that you can encounter. And when you're making a monster, you have to think about, what's an interesting way for a player to interact with this? Like, yeah, I can make just, like, oh, this is a monster and it breathes fire and such and such, but... I mean, so what? Fucking everything in D&D breathes fire. You, you, there's literally a thing My where... My grandma breathes fire. Yeah. You can literally just apply a uh, a um, a template to a thing to give it fire-breathing powers. It's not that difficult. The, the thing that makes 5th edition in particular the most interesting is their focus on the uniqueness of a monster. How does this monster... How does it encounter this monster differ from an encounter with any other monster and they've really done a fantastic job if any of you guys are looking to play D, i highly recommend just foregoing the previous editions uh third edition is great i'm i'm not dissing third edition but if you're new to dungeons and dragons start with fifth edition because that is where they have really boiled it down to the most easily approachable form and the one that has the most storytelling potential as opposed to the most, like, statistical, mechanical focus potential, like 3.5. Less math, more jokes. Exactly. Like, dick jokes abound. And so, did, did, you, want to, did you want to build a monster? Yeah, let's build a monster. I've got, a, I've got a, my, my, uh, my sinful notepad with us right here. Oh, so, fuck. So, what do, we, what do we want to make? Um... Uh, do we want to? Ooh, ooh, you know what we can do? We can adapt something from the Lesser Key of Solomon. Ooh. I mean, like I like. Ooh, do they have any like little bat guys? Um, little bat monsters. Let's see. Uh, I vaguely remember. I don't remember there being anything bat-like from Lesser Key of Solomon, but there are. Uh, there is. I'm probably of a moth, but uh, there's and Malthus, which are a dove and a uh, and a fucking crow. But I feel like they may have already been um, adapted. Yeah, I think those have definitely been played with already. Yep. Let's see. A Halfus and Malthus, I'm pretty sure they've been... Oh, we could always do Fenix. It's the one that's like a, that looks like a phoenix. Alright. Or... Uh, how about... Let's just choose a number at random. Give me a number. 
All right. Anything between 1 and 76. 42. 42. Let's nerd it up. It is Vepar. That's already been done. Give me another one. 48. 48. <laughs> Slightly further down the list. That is Hagenti. That's already been done. It's <laughs> actually a demon. Nine. Come on, no whammies, no whammies. Big money. Uh, Paimon. He's been done, but fuck it. I want to do this guy, because he was not done very well in 3.5. He was like an outside thing. All right, so let's take a look. The Ninth Spirit in this Order is a great king and a very very obedient unto Lucifer. So I suppose that if we're going to be... a Adapting that directly, that would mean he would be very obedient to Asmodeus, the uh, the great lord of hell. Yes? Alright, so we're looking at kind of the last big bad before you hit the master boss kind of thing. Something like that. Or like a, a character that you interact with in order to get to him. Yes. Because that's the beauty of D&D. You're not just fighting things. You could also negotiate. Yeah, you can persuasion check. You mm -hmm. can, you know... You can uh, try to figure out what makes him go and uh, go and go all up on that. Uh, he appeareth in the form of a man, sitting upon a dromedary with a crown most glorious upon his head. There goeth before him also a host of spirits, like men with trumpets, as well as sounding cymbals and other and blah, blah, blah. So that would mean that he would have a, a mount. So he rides a camel, has a sick crown, and has a ghost army. Mm -hmm. So the, oh, ghost army, that's good. We can, he's got tr trumpets, so sonic powers. Mm -hmm. And a ghost army is very good. We can just, uh, we can adapt that by saying that, uh, we can either put ghosts or wraiths as, like, things that he can either summon or has with him at all times. Um, so we could probably put a summoning power, like, maybe once or twice per day. He can summon, like, 2d4 wraiths. So, or do you want to do wraiths or ghosts? They have about the same challenge rating. Um, I'd say we'd probably go with wraiths. They're a little bit more um, spooky. Yeah, I'd go with Wraith. Is there already, like, a Banshee thing that you could put on them so that they could do, like, the screaming, trumpety, like, power instead of, like, the standard We thing? could do Banshees. Okay. That would uh, that would actually give Paimon a very close connection to to uh, Elves. Okay. Because Elves are actually not very, uh, folk... They don't really have a lot of connection to Hell at the moment. Okay. Um, and that would actually be a really good opportunity to bring Elves on into this. Banshees, so, only because, like, they're, like, ghost trumpeteers kind of things. That just makes sense to me. You yeah. want some sort of like ghostly, sonic-powered thing for him to summon. Yeah, I like that. So he can summon Banshees. Uh, that definitely gives him a lot of connection to Elves. So connect to Elves. That's for, That gives a lot of storytelling potential. That means that he could be attacking an Elven city. He could be working against some sort of like uh, Elven enclave. He could be the enemy of some sort of like group of Elven spellcasters. Any number of things. All right. So that gives a lot of storytelling potential. Connection to elves. And how about instead of him being mounted on a camel, he's like got the centaur camel thing going. We could do that. That would definitely simplify things. Yeah. So, so a centaur camel. That wouldn't make a huge difference in his uh, statistics, especially on 5e where they don't really go into close nuance like that, but it definitely gives a... Yeah, uh, streamline what's going on. And the more that we know about what he looks like, the more easily we can think of how we're going to be handling his combat. Yes. That means he would have hoof attacks uh -huh. and probably a charge or trample option. So that works really well. Let's see. He has a great voice and roars at his first coming. And his speech is such that the magician cannot under well understand him until he unless he can compel him. High charisma. High charisma, probably, definitely. Probably he also has some sort of sonic attacks like yep. his wraith banshee things do yeah so like definitely a roar or some sort of sonic thing similar 
for other Sonic thing. All right, then let's see. He can teach arts and sciences and other secret things. He can discover unto thee what the earth is and what holdeth up in the waters and what mind is and where it is. Oh, now that's an interesting some idea. Some sort of psionic or like future yeah. psych sort of thing. Yeah, psionics. We can definitely work psionics into this. And I definitely think we shouldn't forget the big fancy crown on his head. Maybe we could use that at some point. It could be like a like an artifact or something. Yeah. Like it, it, um, in... Um, Orcus, one of the most popular demons in the entire D&D cosmology, arguably even more popular than Demogorgon because he has an undead connection and that was all the fucking rage in the 90s. Um, Demogorgon, uh, Orcus has an, a one called the Staff of Orcus, or the Wand of Orcus, and it's an actual artifact that if, that if wielded by a, a player character grants them concrete powers. So, yeah... Let's see. The Crown of Paimon. We can actually make that into a really interesting thing. Probably give it all kinds of connections to... Uh, I guess it would be psionic, sonically influencing. Yeah, it'd have to be either psionic or sonic, because those seem to be his two realms of power. Yeah. Uh, fifth edition has not touched very uh, very closely upon psionics as of yet. They've done a few little... Uh, a few little, like, ventures into it with the Unearth Arcana stuff, like yeah. for playtesting, but they have yet to publish anything concrete about the psionics in 5th edition, so not sure how I'm going to handle that just yet, but nevertheless, Crown of Paimon, psionics, that's going to be interesting stuff. Okay, so we got some bare-bones stuff here. Mm -hmm. Let's um, see. Uh, hold up in the water. He giveth dignity, confirmeth the same. He bindeth or maketh any man subject unto the magician, if he so desire it. That means he's going to be able to cast um, um, a dominate person, probably at will. All right, so high charisma. So in a domination. So we'll put that with psionics. Domination. Because yeah. he's definitely going to have that. He is observed towards the west. He is of the order of dominations. <laughs> uh, he has under him 200 legions of spirits, and part of them are the order of angels, and the other part are potentates. Now, if thou callest the spirit Paimon alone, thou must make him some offering. And there will attend him two kings called Labal and Abali. I'm thinking that those are going to be the names of some of the um, the banshees that attend to him. Mm -hmm. They can have their own separate stats. Yes. Um. And Abali. I feel like I might be treading on the same ground I've tread upon already with that, because I already have made stats for the Prince of Frost, who has two banshee servants, the... Uh, the Sisters of Sorrow, or... But... There could be more than a couple Banshees. I mean, I... Yeah. There's Banshees all over the place. They don't gotta be that same fucking thing. Yep. So then... And... Those spirits which be unto him are not always with him, unless the... Blah, blah, blah. His character is just... Okay. So that is the details of him. Okay. So we got some good barebone stuff here to work with. Mm -hmm. Just straight out, like, just translating what is in the Lost of Solomon directly into D&D speak, basically. Yeah, so we could have a give him a roar that uh, does both uh, so, uh, sonic and psychic damage, yeah. like a psionic roar that's actually got a lot of precedence in D&D. Um, in 3.5, they had a lot of things that were classified as both sonic and mind-affecting things, so in order to be immune to them, you have to be immune to both of those. Um, in, the, uh, so, in early psionics, they actually had like... <sighs> like a kind of psychic roar you could do, or like mm -hmm. a psychic like scream. So that's definitely got a lot of um, 
a lot of potential there. And it'd be good if he had like a more powerful version of that, and then a lesser powerful version of that were what his servants all had. Mm-hmm. It just kind of would tie everything together. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a fair amount of stuff to work with. Does, did it say that he has any sort of weapons? Because he's definitely going to have uh, hooves as a weapon. Yeah. Doesn't give any specific weapons to him, so that's something that we can play off of whatever the fuck we want. Let's see, what is his um, symbol? His symbol sort of looks like a gate. Okay. Well, let me see. Yeah, it looks just like kind of like a, a raw iron gate, kind of curly. Oh yeah, that's another thing about the Last Key of Solomon. You might have seen like those alchemical like logo things. Like someone's like, oh, these series of triangles all joined together. This is this, you know, the symbol of Lucifer. Like this is the this of that, and the, a lot of those all come from grimories. Yeah, Last Key of Solomon has those listed, those seals, um, along with those Full Metal Alchemist looking bullshits. I mean, like, yeah, that, <laughs> they got it from somewhere. <laughs> they didn't just pull that out of there. Ass. That is a, <laughs> it's got a long and medieval history and a long are, and goofy history those random ass doodles that you can that are in a circle yeah those are things that that actually do they all come from grimoires 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 yeah um, i never really know how to pronounce it i've, I've been told it's both grimoire or grimory yeah i, I think it it's really a, depends i think it's a regional thing yeah all right so yeah paimon I think we can definitely play around a lot with that one. I guess I will be publishing this and um, connect, mm-hmm. connecting it to you. You'll you'll be linking to that, huh? Yeah, definitely. Um, although, uh, just before we put a pin on that, so just to so to just to create stats for something like that, like I know there's minimum and maximum like total damage that like a Someone. Challenge rating, you mean? Yeah, challenge rating. Yeah. yeah. So I'm assuming that if they do uh, stat Asmodeus, he's going to be at the minimum a challenge rating 30, which is the maximum challenge rating that any creature can be in 5th uh, edition as of right now. They haven't introduced anything higher than, than uh, 30 challenge rating. Uh, so I'm probably going to be giving Paimon a pretty high challenge rating, like 27, 28, because the Lord of the First Layer of Hell has, has recently been given stats, Zariel. And she is a challenge rating 26. Okay. Which is the same challenge rating as uh, as Orcus and I believe Demogorgon himself. So that's powerful. Yeah. All so right. Paimon's definitely going to be up there. Cool. And by a challenge rating, like, that is essentially, like, how many points you have to, like, not you have to knock him down to 28 health points? Or uh, no, essentially a challenge rating indicates... Uh, what level party can take this thing on on even terms? Collectively? Or? Yeah, like a, a, generally a party of four characters can take on a creature with a challenge rating equal to that party's level at about equal terms. So like a party of four characters can take on... If there's three characters at level four, they can take on a challenge rating four monster with about equal footing. Okay. Probably a little bit too easy. All right. So it's and not like, oh, we each have level 4, we can take on a level, like, 16. That correct. Would, that, would, that's, that would be murder. Yes. You, they would get straight up killed. Cool. Um, and bear in mind that uh, right now the level cap is 20. In fact, with all characters, level cap is 20. And beyond that, they can ha- there's epic boons, but there's not a whole lot that can be done beyond that. So a challenge rating of any higher than, like, 25 is something that you're going to have to be really clever about even at max level to fight. Okay. Cool. So yeah. 
Paimon's probably going to be like a challenge rating 26 to 28. Nice. Well, then definitely let me know, um, you know, when there's a link to Paimon, and I'll totally put that in the links. I'll try to have this done by the time you publish this. I mean, like, even if you have it after I published it, you can we can just add the link in afterwards. Um, Radical. Yeah. The internet does yeah. let us do that. All right, so I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Monster Factory. <laughs> please don't sue me, Griffin McElroy. I love you so much. I love you, Griffin McElroy. Marry me, please. So, uh, um, if anybody wants to reach out to you and talk to you about, you know, D and D stuff or just like monster literature stuff, would you want them to? Absolutely. They... Okay, cool. Is I'm there... a slut for attention. All right. Is there a way for them to reach out to you, or do you want them to talk? Uh, go through you, yeah, no, and if it. I figure something out, then I then I'll, I'll give you like a contact thing or whatnot. All right. So if you come, if you have like a contact afterward, I'll post that in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but for now, just like. Make sure to reach out through me. So you can find us on Facebook at Drinks with God, or you can find us on Twitter at Drinks W God. You can subscribe to our Podbean. You can find find us on iTunes. Please, you can come to our Redbubble page. You can buy some T-shirts. They say things like "Non fui fui, non sum non cura," which is Latin for "I was not, I have been, I am not, I do not care." <laughs> and um, you can buy mugs. You can buy stickers and. Um, if you have had an alternative theological or cultural experience or you just want to chat with me about something, feel free to email me at drinkingwithgod, that's with an I-N-G, drinkingwithgod, at gmail.com. And you all stay weird out there. May I, may I plug our, our next episode? Oh, yes. Yeah. What is that next episode? Uh, next episode, I don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to be talking about D&D and its uh, interaction with fey creatures. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what I mean when I say